We're going to be in, uh, for the most part, uh, Matthew chapter 13, if you wanted to go ahead and turn there. Um, we're doing this series called Parables. Uh, we started on Easter Sunday, as you, you may remember. And uh, just as a, as a way of reminder, a parable, uh, it's, it's a word that I think most people know, but just, just to be clear, that they're just made up stories. They're, they're made up stories used to, to teach a point. Usually, uh, that point is something that's very complex and very hard to understand. And so Jesus will take hard to understand things and teach them in parables and made up stories so that they're easier to digest. And it's a story that you could remember really well. And so it would be like me trying to tell you, and there are a few car guys in here, so I'm not going to try to, you know, uh, I'm not a car guy, so I'll just embarrass myself. But if I explain to you like uh, the diagram for changing out the disc brakes on your your Pontiac or something like that, uh, I could tell you all the parts or I could tell you, well, you know, it's kind of like you got like a bologna sandwich, right? And it kind of grabs the wheel, you know? And so I can teach you a complex thing about disc brakes uh, by talking about something that we all understand a little bit more easily. And the car people are thinking, no, it's not like a bologna sandwich. That's disgusting. That's okay. Uh, Parables are meant to be common everyday stories that are very mobile, very easy to remember. Uh, Sometimes there are characters uh, that that are added. Sometimes Jesus even gives the characters names. There was one story about a man named Lazarus, which is weird to me because Jesus also had a friend named Lazarus, but uh, they were one's a parable and one's a real person. Uh, he would he would do that because he's trying to teach the truth about what the kingdom of heaven is like, what God was really like. And when it got to the complex things, the things that would be very difficult for them to understand, he would switch into parable. And so we've been going through some of these parables and we're trying to unpack each time something new, something true, something, uh, maybe a reminder of what the kingdom of heaven is like and we're going to walk away from it. Uh, on Easter Sunday, the first week of our parable series, we had those four soils. You may, you may remember that, that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who grabs these seeds and just, he just throws them everywhere. And sometimes they land on good soil and path soil and thorny soil and rocky soil. And he talks about he, how each thing that it lands on. It's not a problem with the seed. The seed is the same. Uh, the problem is, is that the soil receives it differently and that we have a responsibility, therefore, to tend to our soil, to, to look into ourselves. And then it turns out that the kingdom of God is more than just a ticket to heaven. And I was taught that. I don't know who taught me that, but I remember thinking like, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven so I can do whatever I want now. Uh, and, and maybe God doesn't have anything more for me. And it turns out that God not only wants me to be saved for eternal salvation, but he's also willing to start to tend to my soil and start to pull out these rocks that have been buried, these, these grudges, these griefs, these, these pains that are deep inside me and deep inside you. And he's willing to take those and say, I can... I can do something beautiful with that if you let me. The kingdom of God was bigger than I ever thought it was. And I think that that's a beautiful parable to make that point. Last week, we looked at a group of two parables uh, that he's told at a feast, which is hilarious because his parables are about being at celebrations. And at the end, he's, he's basically saying the kingdom of God is like this invitation to the greatest thing you will ever be a part of in your entire life. And yet what I'm seeing is that as I invite people, there are a ton of really weak and lame excuses for joining in on. That he, he tells the parable of, of this master inviting everybody to the party, and one by one, all of the invited guests says, I've got something more important going on. I can't do that. And so he goes and gets just random people to be a part of that. And, and what we walk away from that parable is like the kingdom of God is this invitation to be a part of something bigger and better than anything we've ever been a part of. And we need to be cautious about when we make excuses. I'm not smart enough. I can't talk in that. I, I'm not going to forgive them until they've earned it. I'm not, and we, we make excuses, uh, to, to, to not be a part of it. And in the process, we miss out. 
I want to uh, read uh, some parables in chapter 13, and each of the parables, uh, it's going to be four parables. We're going to read four parables uh, all together, and each of the parables, like, it's about something that's kind of small and insignificant, and then it grows into something something bigger. And I was trying to think of some things in my life that, outside of this story and outside of the kingdom of God, like, what are some things that are they're small and insignificant? They, they seemingly have very little power, but if left to, to their own devices, they grow, and there are some good things and some bad things that fall into that category. Uh, one of the easy ones that I think is pretty obvious is addiction. Uh, I've never met the person who says, you know what I want to do? I want to be uh, an alcoholic for 30 years of my life and like burn through six marriages and like have my kids not talk to me. That's what I want to be when I grow up. Zero kids say that in high school. I, I, I've never met the one. Uh, but I do know people that that is their story. Well, how did that happen? If you ask them, they will say, well, it started out small. Uh, there was this, there was that, there was this trauma. I, I leaned too much on this and then it just grew and grew out of proportion. It started out small and insignificant, and it grew. That would be true of alcoholism. That'd be true of any drug addiction. That's, that's kind of the easy one. Um, there, there was a job that I interviewed for uh, many, many years ago, and uh, it, was, it was weird because, because I, I should have picked up on some red flags early on, uh, but, but I'm called into a job interview. It's like, hey, it's four o'clock. Uh, we'd like you to come in at the end just to interview for this job. And I get there, and she's uh, like, hey, so th- thank you so much for coming in. Uh, two things we want to tell you real quick. Um, one, uh, the, the job that you were here to interview for, uh, we just recently filled. And so we would like to interview for this other job instead. I was like, no. Oh. It's kind of weird. Uh, it caught me off guard, but I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, and so I'll interview her. She's the second thing is like, this, this interview is going to be maybe a little bit longer than you were expecting. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I've got, I've got like an hour, two hours. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably going to be closer to like three or four hours. And it really was. It ended up being like a four hour interview at 4 PM. It was a night. My family had already eaten before I got home. And, and I, I should have taken those as red flags. Like maybe, maybe there's a lot of bait and switch. Maybe there's a lot of long meetings in this company. Uh, but I didn't. I ignored it. It seems small and insignificant, and I spent a year in meetings <laughs> with meetings where, like, as soon as you walk in, the thing that you went to meet on, it changed, and it just, whatever. Uh, it seemed insignificant, but it grew, and it grew. Some good things in life. Uh, just last night, my wife and I, we, we had dinner with friends. We went out and had coffee. These are really good friends. Uh, uh, their, their kid was babysitting our kids. Like, we've grown to be trusting of each other. And it started so insignificantly because it was my first Sunday visiting Carpenter's Way, sitting in the back of the room, trying not to make social eye contact with any of you. Uh, and somebody just comes up and says hi, and now they're really close friends of ours. Now, like, there, there are beautiful things in this world, and there are really ugly things in this world that they grow huge. Um, they get bigger in our lives, and very often they start out small. Jesus is going to give us four parables and it's about the kingdom of God and how it appears small, uh, but then it grows way out of hand. Let me give you a, a quick uh, 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 hermeneutic Bible study tip. Um, is is uh, There are a lot of wrong ways to read parables. Um, a lot of times people will try to assign like meaning to things that doesn't need meaning. It was just a part of a fake story. And they're like, well, you know, the wind was blowing in from the east. And so it's a, you know, we got to watch for the Messiah to come out. No, it, it, that wasn't a part of that. It was just part of the story, right? Um, and so one thing that you need to pay attention to is that if, if a parable is explained elsewhere in the narrative, you take that explanation for it in full. We saw this in uh, our first week that Jesus taught about the four soils, and then the, the disciples were like, hey, what's that? And he explains, let me tell you what the four soils are. We don't have to guess, it's explained. But we don't get that in these four parables. What we get instead is very short parables, uh, one or two verses each. They're very, very short, but they're told back to back to back to back. And so what I want you to think of 
in your head is like a Venn diagram. I don't know if you remember Venn diagrams from school, uh, but Venn diagrams, are, you have a circle and a circle, and then they overlap each other, right? And there's something in the middle that this circle and this circle have in common. You know what I'm talking about? And so each of these parables ends up being like a circle that, that you have to take them as a chunk of four to understand what the point is that he's trying to get across. Actually, it's, it's more like six, but I'm only going to teach on four of them today. Uh, you see this also whenever Jesus teaches, you know, the uh, parable of the prodigal son. That's a, a group of three parables, the third of them being the prodigal son. And so a wise person who wants to understand that won't just read the one parable, will read all three of them and watch to see how they overlap. So uh, let's start looking at these four parables uh, and see, kind of maybe pull out some things and see where they overlap. Uh, I'm going to be in chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 31. Uh, one more thing for setup. Um, 31, uh, we, we taught uh, two weeks ago on the four soils. Um, we read, uh, when we taught on that, uh, we used the book of Luke for that. And in the book of Luke, the four soils sits by itself. Um, in, in Matthew, he groups a lot of these parables together, and the four souls actually starts all of these parables at the beginning of chapter 13, um, and then it's explained. And so what we're going to read today is really part of this like larger group of parables that Jesus taught in, in one sitting. For the two people who care, that's, that's good news. For the rest of you, uh, you can wake back up, and we can, we can study together. Um, verse, verse 31 it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air and, uh, come and make nests in its branches. I've never seen a mustard tree. I don't, I don't know if anybody else has. I don't know where mustard comes from. It comes from like a bottle in my fridge, uh, but but it comes from a, a tree at some point. And uh, I, I had to do some research on this because when I don't know something, I want to know more. And so the mustard seed is apparently very small based on what Jesus says, and the tree is apparently very, very big. And so let me give as a reference point, camera, you don't have to follow me. I'm sorry. I should have had this already. Um, the, the mustard seed, uh, it turns out, I don't know if it's the smallest of all the seeds in the world, but it's certainly one of the smallest of the common seeds in Jesus' day. But in, in the seat in front of you is a pen. Uh, most of you have. It's a ballpoint pen. And so if you pop it open and you can look at it, I want you to try to focus. Uh, I don't have my glasses on or anything, but it's hard. But there's a little ball at the very tip of this pen that is used to roll around and make ink. That ball is about the size of a mustard seed. That's what he's talking about. When he says like the mustard seed is small, it is impressively small. Like if I thump this into this room, there is a 0% chance that any of you is going to find this on the carpet. This ball is so, so small. And this mustard seed is so, so small. And he says that the kingdom of God is like this, look how tiny that is. And the guy puts it in his garden and it grows into this massive mustard tree bush thing. Sometimes it's called a tree, sometimes it's called a bush. And I thought, well, that's good. I've got things that grow in my yard that are like, it's a grass is this tall and the weeds are this tall. Like some things are just bigger than other things. And so I went to see how big a mustard tree gets. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. I didn't. But on, on average, like you can just expect with normal conditions, uh, a mustard tree is going to get between six and 20 feet tall. It can go up to 30 feet tall and like really like you put some miracle grow in the soil and you watered that sucker just right. Like you can get a, a mustard tree 30 feet tall. Just, just for comparison, this room that we're sitting in, floor to ceiling, that is exactly 20 feet. Floor to ceiling. We're talking a seed that, that you can barely see at the end of a ballpoint pen that if left to grow fully will grow as tall as this room is and really could be taller than this building if in really good, good soil. 
Uh, as I was reading it, one of the first things that I Googled was like, tell me about a mustard tree. And I read this line and I thought, my, I don't know, surely Jesus knew this. I don't know if he intended this as part of the parable, but it was describing what mustard trees are good. I'm going to read this quote to you and tell me this doesn't sound like the soils and the, and the things that Jesus was talking about. It says, this is, this is like uh, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica talking about mustard bushes. It says, mustard bushes come from arid climates and have evolved to deal with poor soil, scarce moisture, and extreme heat. They don't need the perfect soil, and they can grow to these massive, massive strengths. And Jesus, he's, he's just finished talking about soils, and now he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, you know, if you let it, if you trust the small thing, it seems insignificant. It seems like, what's the value of this? It's so tiny. Like if I dropped it, I wouldn't even notice it. But when it's fully grown, it's massive. It's so big that birds will just come and make nests in the branches, and it's helpful to everybody. It's shade for people in this arid, dry climate. The, the, this is going to be our first circle of our Venn diagram. The kingdom of God is like this seed that turns into a giant tree. The second thing he says is in verse 33, uh, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Um, I did some uh, research on how to put yeast in dough and make it. I did so much research that I went and bought all the ingredients, and it's sitting on my counter right now to be used as an illustration for this sermon right here. But ADHD wins Sunday morning. I don't have all of my ingredients, but just take my word for it. Uh, by the time I finish this message, the dough would have been huge. If, if you take if you take just a, all it was going to be was just a little bit of flour a little bit of yeast, and a little bit of water. It would have been the most disgusting bread you've ever had. There's no salt. I don't, I'm not putting any butter in it. I just want to show you for, for the most basic thing, yeast is this most insignificant stuff. You put it in the flour, you mix it, and you can't even see it in the flour anymore. It's so small and so insignificant. You put a little bit of water in there, you stir it up, and I set it down here. And in 20 minutes... It's going to quadruple in size. It just it, it, it ballooned out the top of the bowl that I, I had it in. Now, some of you are bakers. I'm not a baker. I'm not a cooker. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how, how yeast is supposed to work in a normal setting. But Jesus, he's talking to a group of people like everybody in their house would make bread on the, on the daily. He's like, you know, the kingdom of God, it's kind of like this tree. It's kind of like the seed. It's kind of like when you put yeast in dough. It's like, when you're watching the dough, it's very, it's very hard to watch it just grow. It, it, it's it's in, inobservable almost. It's so slow. But if you walk away for 20 minutes and you come back and you look at it, it's it's massive. It's like, it's cartoonish how, how big it's grown. So now we have our second circle of the Venn diagram. And if we're piecing this together, it seems to be what Jesus wants them to understand so far uh, is that the kingdom of God, it seems, it seems small and unpowerful until you watch someone grow in it for a while. And you and I, we know people so, some of us are in this room right now that, that they, they've been following the Lord for a significant period of time. And then when you ask them, like, hey, uh, what was it, what was he like before? It's like, golly, you wouldn't even recognize her. Like, she is not the same woman. She, he is not the same guy that he was. Because over the last 20 years, like, the Lord has grown and done something more powerful. But it all started with this one insignificant and seemingly insignificant moment where he or she heard the word of the Lord accepted it, it took root, and it grew. 
So last night I'm out with friends, we're, we're telling dinner, and uh, my lovely wife tells them like, oh, you won't believe how many speeding tickets Jesse used to get. I was like, oh, thanks a lot. You know, we're just going to run me over. And there was, a, there was a day where I got up to go to school uh, in college, and I got a speeding ticket one block from the house. It was early in the morning. Uh, and then I go to class all day. I had a night class. It ended at 8, and then I need to drive from Dallas back to Nederland, and I get another speeding ticket on the way here. And the cop that pulls me over the second time says to me, says, says son, uh, when's the last time you had a speeding ticket? I said, is that important right now? You know, do we, do we, he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, when'd you, when'd you, this morning, but you know, he's like, well, all right. And so he writes me another ticket. I got two speeding tickets in the same day. And, and she tells the story like, yeah, he's kind of a safe driver now. It's, it's, it's insignificant. Uh, as, as we grow and we change, uh, things about us change significantly. But when, when we've trusted the word of God at whatever age, Day by day, it's difficult to see the change, but you, you wait a year, you wait, you wait a five years, a decade, you're going to see massive, impressive change. They did a study, uh, I think it was in Norway or Finland or something like that. Uh, they, they got a group of 14-year-olds, uh, something, something like 90 years ago, 80, 60 years ago, something like a long time ago. Uh, they had a group of 14-year-olds, and they, they were studying the personalities of all of these kids. Uh, and some of them were athletic, some of them were outgoing, some of them were, uh, you, you know, you know uh, top of their class, bottom of their class, everything. So they, they kind of mapped all this out. 80 years, or whatever, they were in their 80s, so 60 years goes by, um, and, and they go and they try to find these 1,400 people that they survey. They can only find about 200 of them, but they, they did the same survey. They checked the patterns and the personalities because what they're trying to see is what elements of one's personality exist from childhood all the way to adulthood. And in those 60 years, they found zero correlation between who they were as a child and who they were in their 80s based on what, they, what, they've, what they've gone through, what, what they thought was important, what they thought they would be successfully. Why? Because over time, little things in our lives, they grow, and we become different than who we are. If we trust the Lord, uh, it's going to grow into something big and, and powerful. Let's skip to uh, verse 44. This is the third circle of our Venn diagram. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You got to love, uh, I, I, I know that it's a made up story, but just imagine being this guy. You're just walking through some random dude's field, right? And there's a corner of a treasure chest, like peeking out of the ground. You stump your toe on it. You're like, oh man. And you look down, it's like, golly, what is that? And you get it and you open it up and it's three lotto tickets, a, 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 a Ferrari's in there. Like you've got, you've got every piece of treasure you could think of. Like it is, it is amazing, but it's not yours and you can't do anything about it. He says that he finds this treasure in this field that's not his and he buries it back up and he goes and he sells everything he has because the dude who owns this field, he's going to sell it to me for a lot cheaper than what that treasure is worth. I'm going to get it. I'm going to own it. And he gets it. He owns the land that has the treasure. Now he, he has that treasure. When I was a kid, I, I grew into liking uh, like old stuff, old coins. My, I lived with my grandparents. My grandparents uh, lived in what I think is still the oldest house in Nederland. Uh, it was built in the 1800s in a museum uh, at the windmill. The Nederland Museum is a picture of my grandparents' house when Twin City Highway was a dirt road with a horse-drawn carriage being pulled in front of it. It is a really, really old house. And when I was a kid, I could go like under the, the crawl space and just like root around. I'd find like old skeleton keys in there. Uh, I ended up finding some old coins at one point. And so I, I started collecting all of these old things. 
And for me, like, I don't know what the real value of them are, but for me, they're like, it's so cool to just own something that has been like 200 years old. For me, this would be a treasure. And sometimes people will come to my house and like, uh, it's just uh, kids, especially, they love it. I'm like, here, this coin is 200 years old. This coin is from another country. This is a, this is a, you know, from, from Israel. This is a coin. And I, w- I would show off these coins and these keys and things. And kids are just like, that's great. And Jesus is like, you know, the kingdom of God is like that treasure that you just discovered, you found. And most people don't understand how valuable it's going to be, but, but the one who does sells everything that they have to get it. This is our third circle of the Venn diagram. The last one that we're going to look at today is uh, verse 45. It says, and again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. This guy, he, he's, he's imagining a guy whose job is a pearl salesman. I don't know if this is a real thing or ever has been a real thing. Like to be so specific, like all I sell is pearls. Hey, I've got this diamond. You want to absolutely get that garbage out of here. I'm a pearl man and I just want my pearls. And so he sells his pearls. His job is to have valuable pearls of different qualities and he's going to sell them. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this, this merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. He sells all of the other pearls that he has, all the other like treasures that he has, and he buys the one thing because for him, he sees that this, he's a guy who knows a thing or two about pearls, apparently. He sees the value in this surpasses anything that he's ever had. You know, there's a lot of things in this world that promise to be treasures. There, there, there are, are buildings that as you, as billboards, as you drive by, it's like big blinking light. This is a treasure. Go for this. This is valuable. Go for this. You want this thing. There are, there are ideas and thoughts that people say that this is important. This is keep this, protect this, argue this, be mad about this. And they promise all of these treasures. But the kingdom of God is so different and so beautiful that all the other treasures of this world pale in comparison. They're worth giving up everything else for just to have the one treasure that surpasses them all. Everybody else sees as insignificant. Most people misunderstand and, and don't understand the value that it is. But for those who do, they win. For those who do, they're, they're amazingly transformed. And so he tells all of these parables. And at the end, in verse 51, he says, have you understood these things? Let me ask you just real quick, just a head shake up and down or left and right. I've told you the four parables in the Venn diagram. Do you understand some of what Jesus is trying to say about the kingdom of heaven? I get a picture of it. Like, as I think about how these different things overlap, I, I kind of understand it. And, and he asked them, like, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And they all respond to him, yeah, yeah, we, we understand. So verse 52, and so he says to them, now that you understand, now that you understand, he says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new, and what is old. And then, then he goes on. The whole point of him telling this entire set of parables wasn't so that those who misunderstand the kingdom or who haven't experienced the kingdom could know something or to expect it. He told it for people who are like you and me, uh, those of you who are in the room who are following the Lord, like this has been something that's been growing in you for a while. He tells these parables for you so that you understand the value of what you have. Um, he imagines that that there's this this master who goes into his house, he's going to pull out old treasures and new treasures, and he's going to share it with people, show it to people. Let me show you, let me show you this key that I found. Let me show you, let me show you this coin 
that I got. You know, my granddaddy gave me this, this one thing that has been passed down to generate. Like for you, it is this amazing treasure and it's a story. I wonder, you know, as, as you and I are just kind of navigating what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we're trying to be good disciples. I, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I really just, I want to be a knucklehead for my whole life. That's just what I want to do. No, everybody's like, yeah, I just, I'm just trying to put one foot in front of another and trying to be faithful. It appears to be that one of the faithful things that we do is that as the kingdom grows in us like that mustard seed, or as we realize the value of it like the treasure in a field, as we see the pearl of great worth, as eleven like puffs us up or whatever, um, that as we meet with people, we would go into our treasures and we'd pull out old and new treasures. We'd pull out, let me tell you what's something that the Lord did when I was about your age. You know, I almost made some of those same mistakes that, that I see you making. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want that for you. You know, I, I went through a similar thing where I lost someone and I know it wrecked me and I imagine it wrecked you too. Is that true? Let me tell you how the Lord helped me through that, these old treasures. Some of us, like the Lord has shown you something new in the last you know, three to six months. You've, you, you just like took the step of obedience and this faith is like your eyes are open in a new way. The, the responsibility here appears to be not understand and continue to grow. The responsibility here is every now and then we've got to dig into our treasure chest and like hand this to somebody and say, look what the Lord's doing. Look what's good. That first parable that we looked at with the mustard seed and the tree that grew, um, he, said, he says it grows so big that the birds can come and land in the branches and make nests. It turns out that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as it grows in you, isn't meant to be just useful for you as an individual. As it grows in you, you become yourself useful to other people. Other people who may be far from God, other people who are looking for sanctuary, other people who are maybe a little bit younger in their faith. It's just like, I just want to come and be close to you and, and learn what it's like to grow with you. You seem to understand the kingdom of heaven a little bit better. I thought my entire life was just a ticket out of here when I die. But it seems to be like you have more peace, more groundedness. You're, you're more firmly rooted to use some of the language of Jesus. And they, they are strengthened as a result. This is, uh, for, for most everyone, this is like a big mystery that gets unpacked over time. Later, uh, Paul will unpack the mystery. I want to look at Ephesians real quick before we close. Because he, he, he kind of, he gets out of parables and he just talks like really, you know, distinctly, real, real simply to, to understand. And he talks about this mystery of, of what the gospel is and how God has done that. He's like, I'm just going to tell you, like, I, I see the secret now. I know, I know what this is. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, I'll just read straight through it. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So again, he's assuming that they are followers of Jesus and they know who he is when he's writing this. It's not, he's not trying to explain the mystery to people who are lost. He's trying to explain this to Christians who are also growing in this. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Even, even as he understands, it's like, I'm telling you right now, I haven't even got to the bottom of how valuable this truth is. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is in the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Even Paul is saying, I'm pulling out of the treasures the old and the new so you can understand this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory or which is your glory. See, Paul, as, as he like, he, he's repeating basically the meaning of these parables. He's like, the value of this, you can't understand. I haven't even gotten to the bottom of this yet. And I'm going to pull out this mystery, the secret that has been hidden from all the ages, like all the generations. And I'm telling you, it changes lives. And I'm telling you this as a man who's in prison for talking about this. And I'm still telling you it's worth it. I would choose to be in prison and I would choose to suffer these things for your benefit. I'm doing this for you. One of the, the mistakes that Christianity has made over the years, and maybe you know some people, this, I, th- I think this is one of the criticisms that the church gets, is that we, we tend to be or can be an incredibly selfish bunch. We can be really self-centered and me-centered. I am saved. The Lord has grown me. I am, yay me, yay God, yay us. And we miss the fact that it is that growth that is in us is intended to be a gift to somebody else. We're intended to, to share and be a hope and a support for somebody else. Um, there's a magician. Uh, you, you guys know who Penn and Teller is? One of them doesn't talk, and one of them talks way too much. Uh, I can't remember which is which. I think it's Penn that talks too much. And he was talking. He's an atheist, and he was talking about this uh, in an interview. Someone was asking him, like, why he doesn't believe in God and what he thinks about it. And, and he, said, he said that he doesn't understand the Christians who don't share with him their hope. He says it's confusing to me. He says it's contradictory to me. He says, if, if I believed that I understood eternity and how to escape eternal damnation and judgment, and I had the secret to unpack that, I would, I, I would have to be an evil, evil person not to tell somebody that. This is, this is from an atheist. And I'm like, well, brother, it's not wrong. We, we underestimate like what the Lord has done in our lives. Like there is beauty and joy. He is growing something amazing in us. We should not keep that to ourselves. Let me, let me close with this. It seems to be as we like overlap all of the Venn diagram, all of the parables that we looked at today, that the kingdom of heaven, it starts out small and very unassuming, is often overlooked and dismissed, and is, is undervalued by most people. Most people, when they hear like, listen, can I tell you, can I tell you how God loves you? Like, golly, I don't need help with why God loves me. I need help with my marriage. I don't, I don't need you to tell me John 3.16 again. I just need my kids to stop being jerks to me. I, I don't need that thing. They, they, they dismiss it. They don't understand it. And they don't understand, like, this is the source of your growth. This is the source of Christians' growth. However, the, the kingdom of heaven, um, it grows to impressive heights. It becomes helpful to others. The effects cannot be dismissed and has a value that surpasses every other human endeavor we've ever been a part of or will ever be invited to be a part of. 
You want to know how that one Christian who like overcame amazing adver- adversity and had the strength to do that with peace and confidence? It wasn't because they had some like superhuman power themselves. It was because one day someone shared with them the gospel. And at the time it was this big. It was so small and insignificant, but they received it with joy. They received it with good soil. Someone was watering it. They were in a church that they were growing in. They went to a small group or whatever and, and they grew in that. And it grew. And one day it just, it just, it just breaks through the surface of the soil, one stem and one leaf, barely anything, barely anything. And now that tree has grown so big that you have gone and taken refuge under, you found shade in their hope and in their strength. How did that happen? Well, it happened slowly. It happened small to begin with, and it grew and it grew because the kingdom of heaven is like all of these things, and it is intended to magnify God, is it intended to, to serve others, and it's intended to be a help for others. And we should, we should be selfish with that. We have uh, one more look at the kingdom of heaven next week, but for now, I, I just want to end with that. And uh, I want us to ponder these parables and kind of think, you know, where, where are we in that growth? Where are we in understanding that value? And how can I be uh, useful to my brothers and sisters around me? Let me pray for you, and then we'll watch the queue together. Father, uh, this morning... Uh, Lord, we, we thank you uh, for the, the different growth that we see represented in this room. We thank you, Father, for these, these saints that have been following you for a while and they have, uh, they have security and strength. And Lord, we, we look up to them. Uh, Father, we thank you for the, the young saints that um, uh, the, the, the growth is, is small but meaningful and we see life and we see hope and we see potential. Uh, Father, I pray for all of us that as we, as we tend to our gardens, as we tend to our soil, um, Father, that you would continue to grow in us this, this beautiful, strong kingdom, that you would continue to grow in us this, this thing that has unmatchable value and worth. And Father, may we be useful and helpful to our community who doesn't know you. Um, as I said at the start, Lord, uh, the only difference between us and those who are hurting outside this room is that we know the source of our hope is in Jesus. Uh, help us to bring that source uh, to others and to teach them and to plant those seeds. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.